Today's scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 18 through 28. This passage is from the story of Joseph, beloved son of Jacob, who was hated by his brothers because his father loved him best. You may remember that Jacob had even made a special robe for him. The story today opens when Joseph, about 17 years old, has been sent by his father to check on his brothers who are out grazing the family's flocks of sheep. Hear now the reading of the Holy Word. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of this dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a gray river of doubt Between my head and my heart They say seeing is believing But I only see myself Reflected in the currents Of the great unknown I need a savior To carry my head Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for your presence with us always, and especially in this time when we bring before you the difficult subject of suffering. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us through this whole sermon series and for a community, God, where we can support one another as we ask these challenging questions. God, I ask for your Holy Spirit now to work through me in these words that um, I am about to speak, Lord, that we might each hear a message of of comfort or of challenge or, or whatever we might need in this moment from you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Several weeks ago in our clergy meeting, Barbara at the end of the meeting turned to me and very offhand quietly goes, and Lauren, I was hoping you would take January 29th, Why Do the Innocent Suffer? 
And I said, of, of course, because that's my job. Um, and then quietly, under my breath to myself, I go, good question. Why do bad things happen to good people? As here I am, preaching on this very difficult subject. Why do the innocent suffer? Whether you are Christian or not, we have been wrestling with this subject as humanity for thousands of years. And when asked, people say this question is the number one reason they doubt. And because it's such a big subject, I was initially intimidated to come before you today. But as I prepared, I began to realize that my own doubts and uncertainty was perhaps the very reason that I should tackle this subject with you. So today I'm asking you to go on a journey with me as I take you through my own wrestling with this question. I'm not sure at the end that we are going to have answers, but I love this song that the band led us in as we meditated, Weep With Me, because I hope we will be able to join in that song even better at the end of this, that we will know the presence of God with us. Now, because this is a difficult subject, before we embark on that journey, I just want to let you know that I am going to be tackling and addressing and mentioning some very sensitive subjects. You are always welcome after the service to find myself or Pastor Barbara or another support person, but today I want to emphasize that if you want to talk to someone after the service, please, please seek out one of us or seek out someone in the church that you can talk with if suffering is something that is particularly for you in this moment. My own wrestling with this question really came to a point when I was 19 years old. I went to Scotland for a study abroad, and so I was disconnected from my normal networks, my normal support systems that would have helped me journey through this. Before I had left to go to Scotland, I had begun really diving into this question, and in particular, what was happening is I was meeting women and collecting their stories and finding out that there are women everywhere who have experienced gender-based violence and discrimination. And as I collected all of these stories, I went to Scotland and they began to fill up in my heart. And I began to really wrestle with, with where is God in the midst of this? Because the stories were very disturbing when they happened outside of the church. But it was also very disturbing to hear about violence against women here in a place where I thought that we should be safe and loved. And I found that there were women who had come with all of their pain and their hurt with trembling hands and laid it at the steps of the church in hope that somebody might help them make sense of it. And that those very same women had often found that there was no place for them here if they were broken or damaged or used up by the world. Now, many of my friends had found the support they needed outside of the church, but that often meant that they were dead set against ever coming back into a space like this. 
And so with all of these stories in my heart, I went to Scotland and night after night, I would wrestle with God and I say, God, why? God, don't you care? God, aren't you just? In the struggle, I was trying. I was trying to connect with God. And so I carried this little pocket Bible with me wherever I went, and uh, there's all kinds of old churches in Scotland. And so every time I walked by of one of them, I would walk in, and I would kneel at the altar, and I would pray this scripture out of Isaiah. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I desperately wanted to hear that voice of God that would help me make sense of this, that would help me put the pieces back together so that I could move on in faith. And so I prayed this everywhere I went. And because I am a good girl who was raised in church, I turned to the scriptures, and there I was shocked to find the story of Hagar, who is a slave girl given to her master to bear his child, who is then discarded into the wilderness with no regard when she is no longer needed. I found the story of Tamar, who is the royal daughter of King David himself, who is raped by her brother, who then blames her and hates her. I found the story of a daughter and a concubine in Judges, who were offered up by their husband and their father to crazed men in the village. And I continued reading about how that concubine was assaulted within an inch of her life, and then she crawled her way to her husband's doorstep where she died because he refused to open the door. And I continued to read about how he then mutilated her body to send a message to them about how depraved they were. And I was finally able to admit, God, I am angry. Why would you let this happen? I deserve an answer. Because when I read all of these stories, not just in the world, but in the holy scriptures of our God, I thought, God, don't you care about these women? Don't you care about us? And then I took a trip to Barcelona, where there is a modern cathedral built, you know, since we had, you know, the innovations of, of scaffolding and all of that. And I walked into this beautiful sanctuary, and I felt myself forced to my knees in the presence of God. And I finally heard that voice behind me, the voice of God that I had been praying to hear. And God said to me, that's enough move on. If I was making this story up, trust me, I would tell you I heard so much more comforting words from God. I would make God look so much better in my mind. But I can only tell you what God said to me. That's enough. Move on. I had stored up all of this hurt and this grief and this suffering in my heart and then suddenly my heart was filled with peace. A light entered my darkness, and the darkness 
could not overcome it and did not comprehend it. And church, can I tell you, I didn't comprehend it. I didn't understand how I could have gone from so much anger and suffering and then the next minute be at peace with God. But I was, and I think this is so often how the work of healing begins. The Holy Spirit descends. The peace of God enters our hearts, and suddenly everything that seemed unmanageable becomes just the slightest bit lighter so that we can carry it with God. In that moment, I made a choice to trust. I still didn't have answers to my questions, but I realized I could move forward faithfully, and so I did. I came home, and it was literally a couple of weeks after that that I applied for candidacy for ministry. Since then, I have actually found answers to my questions that satisfy me about women, due in large part to a book by Phyllis Tribble called Texts of Terror. I have come to know that the presence of God in the midst of suffering is the beginning of healing. I recognize that the very reason I can read about those women in that holy Bible is because God did see them, God does care, and God cares enough to record it so that we might never forget what happens to women. But I still haven't found an answer that satisfies me to our question of suffering. Because while I have answers there, I have experienced suffering in new ways. I have comforted a 22-year-old and his father who were both hospitalized with COVID in separate rooms only to watch one die and the other live. I have seen parents of children who are malnourished, who are themselves so suffering that they take food away from their child. And I have seen other parents who work multiple jobs out of love for their family who still have their heat turned off in the winter. And I am not alone. In the few short months I have been with you, I already know some of the suffering you have experienced. You have lost parents when you were children. As parents, you have grieved the loss of your own child. You have seen friendships disappear that once meant so much to you. You have experienced suffering I don't yet know about that I may never understand in my lifetime because I am not you walking in your shoes knowing your losses. And I want to name that. And I want us for a moment to hold that pain together as a community. So often in this faith where we have a resurrected savior, we want to move so quickly through these very long days of grief and loss and just get to the joy and the victory and the celebration. We don't give ourselves or our loved ones time to sit in the suffering. But God sees your suffering. 
And God thought it was so important to be with us in the midst of our suffering that God kept a record of many of the ways we have suffered. And then, after writing these holy scriptures, God came and dwelt with us. God thought it was so important to be with us that God emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ will sit with you in the suffering. Our response when we see true suffering is often to become angry and confused. And this is God's response as well. Injustice causes the righteous anger of Jesus when he flips tables and rebukes religious leaders and casts out evil and demons. Yet often when we become angry with suffering, we allow our anger to push us away from God instead of drawing us close to God. Here is the logic we often use. Either God allows suffering to happen and is therefore not good, or God is just not as powerful as the forces of evil. Neither answer feels good. So to shed light on this dilemma, let's turn to the scripture that we read today out of Genesis. We have a story about a young man, Joseph, whose brothers plan to kill him, and then decide, no, let's sell him into slavery instead. In considering this story, we can learn several things about suffering. Firstly, God has given humanity free will, and God does not overrule someone's free will, even to prevent suffering. In the story of Joseph, we see free will at work. We have the free will of the brothers who act upon their anger. We have that of Reuben who attempts to rescue his brother. We have that of Judah who acts on his own greed to make a quick buck. But before all these men, we have their father Jacob, who uses his free will to enact his favoritism and stir up jealousy and division. But Jacob, of course, he's just repeating what he saw his parents do when his own mother, Rebecca, chose to favor him over his brother Esau. We live in a fallen world in which our free will is all twisted up. Secondly, Joseph's suffering is not just his own. The suffering he endures is personal, yes, but it is also familial and societal. This does not negate the very real personal suffering Joseph feels, but rather it's to point out that Joseph is not alone in his suffering. After he is gone, we learn that his father grieves. He is heartbroken. And his brothers begin to regret and they have guilt. We ourselves are familiar with this layered type of grief because we know that when one of our loved ones hurts, it hurts our whole family. We often lose sight of the part of this that is societal suffering though. Joseph's own tragedy takes place within larger systems of societal plights. The violence against Joseph mirrors that that has been happening within society since Cain and Abel first took up against one another and decided to fight. 
When he is sold into slavery, Joseph joins just many, many people who have become powerless within the institution of slavery. The suffering of each individual happens within that larger framework of societal suffering. And that brings us to our third point in this text, which is that we must understand our suffering and the suffering of others within a larger story. The story of Joseph should be read within the whole story of his life. You might notice today we just got a little section and um, we did a wonderful job ahead of time of helping set us there. Because most of Genesis is self-contained short stories. But Joseph's life is told over seven chapters in the Bible. Even the words of the brothers today towards the end of our scripture reading foreshadowed that there is more story to come. Then we shall see what comes of his dreams. They mean it maliciously, but if we keep reading, we will learn what comes of Joseph's dreams. We will learn what comes of his suffering and of all of their free will. In many ways, Joseph foreshadows Christ for us, whose whole life must be looked at in order to understand his message. The empty tomb without the crucifixion means nothing, but likewise the crucifixion without the empty tomb would just be another death. Salvation is not just found on the empty cross, it is found from Genesis to Revelation. In that story of salvation, there are moments of just great wonder and triumph when death is defeated and victory is given, but there are also moments of great suffering and despair when, yes, women are violated and when prophets like Joseph are asked to speak a word of truth even when they risk their own acceptance or even lives. Suffering is part of the human story. But so is this. God is with us in the midst of it. That language, God is with us, it can become so cheap can't it? When we just say it offhand, when somebody tells us that they are just having the worst month and we go, God is with you, and then we walk away and we don't stay with them, it can become cheap. But when we look at the whole story of salvation and when we live like this is a reality, God is with us becomes the truest, deepest, most comforting blessing of our faith. In Jesus Christ, God takes on flesh to be with us. The one who knew no sin becomes sin that we might be near God. The most innocent one suffers on the cross to prove the love of God. It is evidence that God chooses solidarity with us in our suffering. Richard Rohr puts it this way, the cross was Jesus' voluntary acceptance of undeserved suffering as an act of total solidarity with the world. His life was an act of solidarity with all life. His death was an act of solidarity with all suffering. God is not void or exempt of suffering. Instead, through Jesus Christ, God knows suffering intimately. 
and continues to be with us in our suffering through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are invited to become part of that ongoing story of Jesus. Joseph's journey didn't end when he was sold into slavery. He is raised up in Egypt to preserve both the Egyptians and his own people. The suffering he endures produces a blessing for society as a whole. Does that mitigate his personal suffering? No. But because of the free will of his brothers, his ancestors, himself, his suffering was a reality. It occurred. The only option then is how he will handle it. All those years later, Joseph will tell his brothers this, even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good. This statement does not mean God caused the suffering, but rather in the midst of the suffering, God continued to be faithful to Joseph, and Joseph remained faithful to God, and together, through the suffering, they rose. Throughout the sermon series, you have heard Barbara talk about taking the hand of doubt and then taking the hand of faith and taking them both to Jesus together. And I want to suggest to you that when we take the hand of suffering and we take the hand of faith, we can actually draw closer to Jesus. I want to be clear here. When I say that in suffering we can draw close to Jesus, I do not mean that suffering is necessary for salvation. God does not require us to suffer in order to be worthy. Salvation is a gift freely given through Jesus Christ. Rather, I mean that suffering is part of the human story. It's going to happen to us all, rich, poor, prophet, king, we are all going to suffer. And the reality of our world is that power is unequally distributed and so sometimes some of us are going to feel suffering more acutely than others do. But in that midst of that suffering, when we take it and we take faith, we can find that Jesus is with us. I want to tell you a story about living in solidarity in the midst of suffering. Christina is a young mother who is living as a refugee in Ukraine, and her photo appears up here courtesy of World Vision, who collected her story and published it. Two rockets fell on her hometown destroying her home and forcing her to flee with her six-year-old son and her one-month-old daughter. She did that by herself since her husband was at sea. Christina arrived in Romania where she found aid workers who gave her her necessities, but even more than that, she details how in the Romanian community she found families and people who opened their houses, their homes, their communities to her and made her feel welcome. It would be easy to imagine in a stressed out border community where they are receiving all these refugees that the people there might compound the suffering of the refugees because they're just overwhelmed. But instead, Christina found people who even though they themselves were suffering because of the war, were willing to join with her in solidarity. 
Christina was so moved that she then took it upon herself to become involved in um, social work programs, and she was able to help other mothers find companionship and community. She joined with them in their suffering. We are approaching the year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. This war, like so many before it, has forced us to confront the absolute injustice of innocent suffering. Almost eight million refugees have fled in the last year, and to this day they continue to arrive at the border with only what they can carry. In the face of the initial onslaught of suffering, the world was shocked, but then we prayed and we looked for ways to help. But the suffering continues. I encourage us to continue to pray, to continue to seek ways to help, because we can be people like Christina who choose to daily live in solidarity with suffering. This is what it means to live like Christ in the face of suffering. It is to journey with others, just as we know that God is with us. Bishop Sue reminded us last week of a quote um, from Corey Tenbaum, and you might remember it. It says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Even in our suffering, God is with us. I want to thank you for going on my journey with me. And wherever you are in your journey, know that you are not alone. I pray that when you are ready, you will find in the church brothers and sisters who are willing to sit with you and who, when you are ready, are are then walking with you as you take the hand of suffering and you take the hand of faith and you draw close to Jesus. John Wesley, the founder of our faith, famously had a quote about the subject on his deathbed. It's engraved at the bottom of the stairs at Duke Divinity School. And so for four years while I was in attendance there, no matter what happened in my life, I was daily covered by this message. And I want to leave you with it as well. The best of all is, God is with us. Amen.